As warrior dads, we got to tackle a lot of things, but tackling low testosterone levels should definitely not be one of them. Uh, we need to keep our testosterone at peak levels, and that is absolutely crucial for all of us. So I'm sure you know all the horrible things associated with low T levels. If you don't, it's definitely not pretty. Uh, it's Google search away. But unfortunately, testosterone levels in men have been consistently decreasing over the last two decades. And it's actually one of the biggest conversations I have to have when working with men, which is why I decided to create the Warrior Dads Testosterone Booster Guide and Checklist. It's a free download. And all you have to do is go to checklist.warriordads.com. Uh, just download it, start, start implementing it, and start to feel the difference. So again, go to checklist.warriordads.com and get your free copy now. Being a dad isn't always easy, but it's the best thing I ever did. I'm constantly improving myself to be the best dad I can be through fitness, nutrition, mindset, and lifestyle. As fathers, we pass on many things to our children, such as our mindset, our habits, our attitude, and what we've learned along the way. Each of these will shape who our children are and who they will become. The Warrior Dad's mission is to help you become the healthiest version of yourself, to hone your edge, and to live with purpose. My name is Jim Bartomey, and this is the Warrior Dad's Podcast. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Warrior Dad's Podcast. Today, I am going to be speaking and bringing in, in a second, Anthony McAndrew. Uh, Anthony actually reached out to me, and when I heard why he wanted to be on the podcast, what he wanted to share on the podcast, um, there was absolutely no way that I was that I was going to say no. Anthony is an Army veteran. Uh, he is a brave father of two children um, who are ages two and one. And uh, not to give away too much, but he he has been through a lot. He has overcome a lot. And what he's dealing with with one of his children right now is um, remarkable, um, which is why I say a very father of two. And I think a lot of people out there that are also, um, I want to say struggling, but, but living, living with a child that has some of the things that Andrew's going to share um, with us and with you today. I think it's really important for everybody to know that, you know, you're not the only one out there and that there's things that can be done and kind of stepping into that mindset um, of, of continuing to push through, of overcoming. And um, you can definitely connect if, if there is anybody out there listening um, and you want to connect with other people that are going through the same thing. Um, we're going to plug Anthony's, uh, Instagram at the end. So this way you guys can reach out and connect and, and who knows where it goes from there. But please, uh, please help me welcome Anthony McAndrew. Anthony, thank you so much for coming on the Warrior Dads podcast. Really appreciate you taking the time and um, being willing to uh, open up and, and share your, your story with everybody. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and as with, uh, Every uh, every veteran, thank you for your service. Um, from me and my son, I've, uh, I've taught my son over the years to uh, thank police officers and firefighters and uh, and and veterans uh, for their service. So uh, I just I feel like that's important. So thank you. Thank you. So Anthony, just uh, kind of get into your background, just a brief history uh, about you, and then kind of what have what has led you up to where you are today in life. All right. Well. Uh... I grew up in Iowa, so got to have fun dealing with uh, hot summers and cold winters. <laughs> and then in high school, you know, Iowa is known for the wrestlers, so I wrestled in high school. And that was uh, an interesting time. Our, my coach's favorite saying was, once you wrestled, everything else in life is easy. <laughs> <laughs> but... When you think about it, you know, it's the first place, if you ever wrestled, where you got put in an awkward situation that you had to find your way out of. Sure. You know, you were with a team, yet on your own. Mm -hmm. You know, what you did and that work you put in directly res resulted in the outcome. So it does teach you a lot with uh, mentality and what you have to go through and, you know, process because when you're in the cradle trying to get out there are steps you got to take but you got to be able to calm down and think about them 
Um, and then I actually joined the Army, the Iowa National Guard, on my 17th birthday. Uh, and over the junior, senior summer of high school, I went to basic training. Came back, finished high school, went back, oops, uh, went back to finish my training, and then direct, uh, immediately deployed to Afghanistan after that. Hmm. So, right into the mix, huh? Yep, right in the mix. Uh, I actually did the split training option like that just to be able to make the deployment because I had known about it. Okay. Actually, you told me something interesting before where you said you want, you knew you wanted to go into the army. Yeah. So at a, um, at a very young many, age too. Yeah. I don't know how many people remember this movie, but the movie operation Dumbo drop came out mm-hmm. was about five or six years old. And it was my favorite movie growing up. And I wanted to be like those guys jumping out of the planes and doing all that cool stuff they were doing. So so at five that years old, so at five, you said that you wanted to be in, to go into the army, and you actually did it. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. pretty good because you know, let alone what what people you know think about at five years old. You know, do they even remember? And and here you're actually doing it. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah. All thanks to Operation Dumbo Drop. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So, what happened after the army? What happened, or what happened, um, what happened when you got back from Afghanistan? After I got back from Afghanistan, you know, uh, I was 19 years old. So I was in this really weird place in the world where, you know, I, I was not viewed as an adult by our laws and our world in general. But everything I had gone through, all the people who actually I could talk to and relate to were older than me. And... You know, you feel really alone at that age when you can't even go to certain areas with your friends who you deployed with because you're not 21. Right. Um, Made that very interesting. Um, I also, right after we got back, I lost my uncle, who was the reason I joined the unit I joined um, and was like a big brother to me. That was a very rough time right after we got back. Um, So a couple months after, I ended up meeting my wife for the first time. And, you know, two years later, I proposed. And then that's kind of where the story really starts taking off. Mm -hmm. So... Um, I was working a job traveling for a living, but uh, I was making a lot of money when we got married. Um, but being in the guard, being in the guard, we have to do our annual training. And so we got married and a week and a half later, I had to go to my annual training. So no, so no honeymoon. Uh, we went to the Wisconsin Dells for four days. Where'd you go? Wisconsin Dells, it's a city in Wisconsin that has uh, the largest water park capita in the per capita in the U.S. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. cool. So that's where we went for our honeymoon, just because it was quick, right? And then, and then uh, went to my annual training, and instead of two weeks, it was three weeks long. And when I came back, I had two weeks home. And then I had to go to a school for the army for another three weeks. Um, The day I got back, I had called my boss and I told him, you know, I'm ready to get back to work. Just let me know when we're shipping out again. Mm -hmm. And he informed me that the entire company had been laid off while I was gone. Uh, There were about five people total working in the whole company. Um, you know, it's the nature of construction, especially when you do a very specific type of construction. Mm-hmm. But uh, kind of a rough spot to be in when you've been married for a total of three months. Sure. So luckily I have an uncle who owned a roofing company and I gave him a call 
and started working the next week. I wanted a little time off before I went back to work. But uh, I was driving an hour to work every day, an hour home at night, and I was only making about $12 an hour. Wow. So. It's a big adjustment. Yeah, it's a very big adjustment. I went from making about $1,000 a week to you know, $12 an hour. And with it being roofing, if the wind is too bad, you can't work. If it's raining, you can't work. Just very rarely did I work five days a week even. Mm-hmm. So it was a tough spot. Um, and having just gotten married, all our savings went into that. We didn't have a chance to rebuild it yet. So, you know, just made do for the time being. And then found out. Uh, my wife was pregnant with our first child, and so. And that was even that was before a year after being yeah, married. Was, yeah. Um. So, we found out she was pregnant in November. We got married in July, so it yeah. was yeah a very short period of time there. Uh, yeah, four months. Yeah. So she would have gotten pregnant in October then. Mm-hmm. So I, I needed to change. I couldn't be gone working an inconsistent job and, you know, driving two hours to and from work every day. So I decided to use the GI Bill and go back to school and then just get a part-time job because between the GI Bill and the part-time job, things should be able to level out some. Mm-hmm. And picked a degree I really didn't want to do but i thought there'd be a job at the end for it i went for computer sciences okay and i am someone who's avoided technology and computers most of my life and so wasn't <laughs> it's kind of hard to go from construction in the military to computers but that's what i chose to do because i figured there was a job market for it um but in this time, you know, you're doing your monthly visits to the doctor and there's still bills to pay. And I mean, I just, I felt worthless for a while there because I really couldn't contribute. I was asking family members for money. I couldn't pay for the bills like I was, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There were many times my wife would come up to me just freaking out about how we don't we're not gonna be able to pay our bills how are we gonna keep this house we'll be evicted and i had to look her in the face and say don't worry about it you know we'll be all right we always end up getting by you know we'll, we'll find the money somewhere and pretty much just lied to her face to try and calm her down and when i'd walk away you know find myself a quiet place i'd start freaking out and crying and but I'd never let her see that. Right. Um, because I knew if she was freaking out and knew that I was worried too, it would just get worse. And I, I couldn't, couldn't have that. Sure. So throughout this process, you know, we're struggling with our money, struggling with our finances, not sure what to do. Um, you know, we're going to the doctors and that's probably about our most exciting time of the part of the month was uh, going and seeing the ultrasounds and hearing the heartbeat and just hearing about how he's progressing. And by all means, he was fine. We never, they never had any point for us to worry about. All his measurements checked out. So, you know, it was more... Um, did I lose you there? No, you're good. Okay. Um, it was just very exciting um, time for us. Whenever we went there, it was kind of a break from our financial fears. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, nine months goes by. We're still not doing We're still in the same spot we were. I'm bouncing on weekends, and she's working at a hotel for $11 an hour. And... We, uh, she wakes me up in the morning after I just gotten back from bouncing to, uh, tell me the baby's coming. 
So we go to go to the hospital, labor, everything goes fine, no no issues. Again, checks out, they give us a clean bill of health. Two days later, we're home. Um, about two weeks in, we noticed during feeding, he'd always have his right arm real clenched up and next to his face, kind of like he was guarding his food from you. Uh, looked like he was ready to punch you at any time. And we brought it up at first month checkup, and doctor said, don't worry about it. But then it got to other things. You, we'd never see him really moving his right arm. And that, you know, started worrying us. We thought maybe he's just left-handed or maybe there's something pinched in there. Mm-hmm. And every time we went for a checkup, the doctor said, well, there's nothing we can do until he's six months old. But it's also not abnormal for development to be behind. So weren't happy about it, but, you know, we just kept going. And after six months, um, they told us to start going to physical therapy and they're also going to get an MRI in for us to see what's going on. Mm -hmm. And we had already started doing some physical therapy with him on our own. Um, And that was one of the reasons why we were over worried. Like you'd put every father knows what puffs are. Yeah. (laughs) You'd put a puff in his right hand and you had to force it into his hand and he wouldn't even look at it. He wouldn't move his hand or anything. So that kind of was a major thing that, you know, something's wrong. When, when a six-month-old isn't going after a puff, there's something wrong. Yeah. Um, so we started doing the physical therapy. We did the MRI. And that the MRI was an absolutely terrifying experience because uh, they have to sedate him. And so you weren't allowed to feed them all day. They get there, they give them the IV, they put the anesthesia, anesthesia in, and uh, then you have to leave until the MRI is over. Wow. And how long is that process? That was about an hour, I think. Jeez. And uh, they come and get you and tell you they're waking them up. And before you even get to the room, I mean, you just hear the most blood curdling screams and cries from him because he woke up drugged, surrounded by people he doesn't know with a bright light in his face. Right. Um, so, I mean, that was just one of the most gut wrenching feelings I've ever had in my life. Yeah. And he's how old at this point? Six months? Uh, seven months? Eight months old at this point. Eight. Seven or eight. But yeah, I mean, still. Yeah. Oh, and while all this is going on, my wife is in her second trimester with our youngest child. And so we're desperately trying to figure out what's going on to see if it's going to happen again. Mm-hmm. You know, that's becoming our fear now. Is it, you know, genetic? Is it a random accident? Or is it just, what are, what are the chances of it happening again? Right. So you're dealing with the current situation and thinking if you're going to have to deal with another situation yeah, in another X amount of months. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's pretty miserable. So what um, did the MRI find? All right. So the MRI uh, showed that he had had a stroke before he was born and um, something they don't tell you to look out for, but uh, one in somewhere between two and 5,000 kids have strokes before they're born. Wow. Um, and uh, he is missing a quarter of his brain because of the stroke. And a lot of people ask me, is it damaged or what? Um, because he was still developing when he had the stroke, the stem cells didn't know what to do. So they turned into whatever was nearest to them, which happened to be the spinal fluid. So he uh, has fluid in his brain where the matter or the gray matter used to be on the damaged areas. Um, those and, pictures. And is that still there today? Yes. They'll, they'll never grow back. Um, no, the, the spinal fluid is still there today, kind of taking yep. up the rest of the space. 
Yeah, and that's what allows his head to grow normal. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I, I mean, when you're looking at those MRIs with the doctor and you just all of a sudden see this black spot in his brain and I mean, your, your gut just drops out of you. Yeah. It's, it was taking everything in me to not freak out right there in the, in the doctor's office that day. What was your wife's reaction? She was crying. And uh, my mom was with us at the time and she was crying as well. And it, I'm not going to lie. I got very selfish when I first heard the news, mm-hmm. you know, cause every father dreams of their kid, you know, being the, the baseball star, or, you know, football and whatnot, watching them and playing catch in the yard with them and helping them develop. And I, I, I was, felt bad because I will never I would never have that experience with him mm-hmm. um and like I said I realized it was very selfish but I mean it was one of the knee-jerk reactions where you just have it um so they also warned us that because he had the stroke he is now more likely to have seizures um but they didn't tell us what to look for you know, I, I was under the impression that all seizures were grand ball, like you see in the movies where someone just falls over and just starts shaking. Right. And they can be as subtle as a child staring off and being unresponsive. So they vary from that, those two extremes. Um, so a couple months later, we started noticing his head would drop and his arms would shoot up, but he only did this right after we woke him up or uh, when he was tired and about to go to bed. So we thought he was just falling asleep. And when his head fell, he woke himself up. You know, we didn't, we didn't think much of it. And uh, tell my mom actually told me that we should probably get it checked out. And so we called our doctor and he said, take him to the ER You'll be able to get the scans faster if you go to the ER um, than if I were to schedule them. And so that's what we did. They did his blood work, and he was having seizures, and they were classified as Panama seizures. Um, so Panama, you said? Panama, yeah. I've never heard of that. I hadn't either. Um, What's so that, that, what is that? So that is just one of the more minor seizures. Um, so his body still seizes up to some extent. You know, his head will drop and his arms shoot up. And then he'll have anywhere from two of them to they will go on for five minutes. And it's horrible. Like, it'll, it'll tear your heart out as a parent. So the only thing you can do is just sit there and hold them and try and calm them down and not cry and tell them that it's going to be okay and it'll be over soon. Yeah. And that that's all you can do. You know, we'd uh when we'd go out to eat and put them in the high chair, we had to bring a pillow with us to put in front of the bar on the high chair so that way if he had one he wouldn't hit his head. He couldn't sit within a foot of the table or he'd hit his head on the table if he had a seizure. So his whole body just collapses, not that his head just goes down. It's just case the whole body collapses. Pretty much, yeah, but, you know, as a baby, sure. it's not a good control over anything anyway. Yeah. But, yeah, it's... Um, and how is he when, he's, when he comes out of it or when it passes? How, how, how is he? That, like is nothing he... happened. Like he would, if you looked at him and you made a funny face, he'd start laughing at you. You know, just... I guess that's, never... a, I guess that's a blessing in itself, right? I mean, you I mean just, you know, he just went happened. through this ordeal... Yeah. And, you know, having this trauma to the body and, well, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming it's considered trauma. And then, you know, you're sitting there waiting for it to pass. And I'm sure five minutes feels like, you know, half an hour. Yeah. And, you know, but at least he's not freaking out at the end of it or crying or in pain or any of the other options that he could possibly experience after something like that. You know what I mean? So just the fact that he's able to smile and, and be himself right afterwards. Like that's why I feel like it's just kind of a blessing. 
Uh, there would be times where he'd be laughing at you while he's having them. And then there'd be times like if he wanted to go to bed, but these are what's keeping him awake, he'd be crying. Mm-hmm. You know, so he's, he's able to process a lot of stuff then. It seems like, you know, you're, you're holding him, telling him it's going to be okay. Just relax, trying to console him. He's hearing all that, right? It's, it's all being processed oh, yeah. by him. He's um very, very intelligent. We actually, uh, the last time we went to see the specialists, they told us um, cognitively he's actually ahead of where he should be. Um, but so we got the seizures to stop and uh, going to therapy literally weekly. And uh, we had our second kid by this time and he's healthy um very it's very different um mentality wise and whatnot just like any having any kids that are but um Mm -hmm. i found i'm actually harder on my oldest child with all of his issues than i am with my youngest um why do you think that is i need to be so harder harder how so, like, if there's something out of his reach, I will not get it for him. I make him figure out how to get it, you know, and it could take time. He could be sitting there crying for a while. But because of that, he is quite independent, you know. But um, he, he can get it. You're just trying to kind of encourage problem solving for him. Yeah, encourage <laughs> problem solving. So instead of – It's not something that's like on a tall counter or something like that where he wouldn't no, be able to get it without dragging a chair over and climbing up on it or something. Well, like he that. does that now because we did this to him as a baby. Mm-hmm. Like we would put something out of his reach and he either had to crawl to get it, roll to get it, grab something and pull it towards him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he always figured it out. And so now he will bring chairs over to the countertop to get onto the counter to get whatever he wants. Wow. So it kind of backfired on us a little bit, but at the same time, you know, it's what we, it's what we needed to do to get him developed because I don't want him, you know, relying on this on other people, you know, it, yes, he does have a handicap. Yes. He does only have, proper use of one arm and one leg but he can get around he can play he can get things Mm -hmm. Um, and we've never babied him about it you know now i have other family members who will but when he's with us then he has to earn it just like every other kid does so why do you say it backfired because you have the most independent two-year-old there is (laughs) And overly, indip- and overly intelligent. Like we can't hide anything from him anymore. We can't get anything out of his reach. He will figure it out. Wow. That's but, impressive. Oh, yeah. How's his speech? Uh, his speech is delayed. So the way that develops with kids, um, when they become mobile and are able to walk and walking, you know, second nature. Mm-hmm then they'll learn to talk. So because he didn't start walking until he was 18 months old and uh, it's still very labored, it, it's going to be a delayed speech. Yeah. Um, but. Do you guys do sign language? I know sometimes that's pretty mm-hmm. common for people just so they can kind of still communicate and, to, you know, the child feels like he, can, he or she can ask for things. Uh, he knows please and more. So, but other than that, you know, generally as the parents, you know what he's saying. You know, you've known that since, you know, they were 10 months old, roughly. Mm-hmm. Like he used to say ball, bob, balloon, and they all sounded the same unless he was talking to my wife or I, and we could tell which one he actually wanted. Um, but so right now. He's actually in the living room watching TV and happy as can be. Nice. Dad, does he have to go to the doctors periodically, you know, more frequently than, than some other kids or your other, your other son? No, every week. I mean, we have to go to physical therapy or occupational therapy. Yeah. But 
you actually were mentioning to me that you actually live close to one of the best places for that out out there out there right there's that center near you and you're you're fortunately only an hour away or something like that iowa city uh hospitals yeah or not in this area they're the the best place i mean just his regular every week we don't go there Mm -hmm. Uh, we go there four times a year right just to kind of do a checkup and um diagnostic of where he's at um but weekly we go to see the therapist in town but i mean other than that we've only had to take him to the doctor for being sick twice you know he's extremely healthy other than that so that's awesome yeah i feel very fortunate you know he's always happy he's always smiling and laughing you know, and I tell you what, I was worried about that whole baseball thing. That kid can throw a baseball across the living room and dining room right now. So, and he's got precision. He's hit me between the eyes a couple of times. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So maybe you'll still be able to, you know, maybe that's, right. I mean, what what are the doctors saying? What are they saying? You know, and, and I don't really put, not because, you know, nothing against doctors, in general, you know, of course, mm-hmm. just like with anything, there's people that are good and bad at their profession or, you know, good and then just not so good, you know, but, you know, you, you hear countless times of people saying, oh, well, this person will never be able to walk again, talk again, have the use of this limb or whatever. And then, you know, the person turns around and does it, you know, maybe not right away, but then they turn around and do it and they prove, quote unquote, science wrong. Yeah. What are the doctors saying and what have heard, you know, what are they saying that could be some limitations and have you already seen him overcome some of those predictions? Um, well, to start off, they never thought he would crawl. They thought it would just be physical therapy to walking and he was crawling. Wow. But, uh, how, what, how, that, how long did he, would, did he crawl for a good amount of time? Oh yeah. Um, he'll still crawl if it's faster than walking because his walking's very labored. And if he doesn't have his brace on, he doesn't like to walk. Mm-hmm. But, uh, well, I actually encourage, you know, I actually encourage our son to crawl as long as he could because some people look at it as, well, I want them to just get up and start running right away. But, you know, from an exercise, you know, from having an exercise background and, and still seeing clients and, um, understanding infant development to a certain degree, you, you start to realize that, people that have never crawled um, can have and stability issues because they never actually had the coordination and the working of the left and the right brain hemisphere at that young age. And so it's interesting because, you know, you said that your son only has, uh, is missing a quarter of his brain, but he's got, you know, he has the capability to crawl and use something, you know, the, the, so something's there that, that still has that connection where he's able to integrate the right and the left side of his body simultaneously to, to move, right? Because you, you, you move your right arm and your left knee together, and then you move your left hand and, uh, and your right knee together, and that's how you can crawl. So, I mean, that's tremendous, and I would actually encourage that for quite a while because, again, some parents just think, oh, I just want them to get up and crawl or uh, walk and run. And they think that that's a, a sign of achievement or, um, you know, being ahead of the curve. But I would actually say the opposite. I would encourage crawling as much as you can, um, because I've actually even seen it and asked clients before, you know, if they remember if they were, you know, if they crawled when they were a kid or they were told that, oh, yeah, you know, she he or she just got up and ran, you know, one day and never crawled. And, and sometimes it actually shows up later in life, uh, coincidentally. So it's kind of catches up to people. So. That's amazing that he's able to crawl. And is he fast on the floor? Oh, yeah. He'll actually um, – he picks the hardest way, too. He just crawls on his knees a lot of times, uh, which I guess requires the most balance and coordination to do. Like Our therapist told us that that's even harder than walking for most people. Hmm. But the one nice thing about how young he was when it happened and how quick we were – about spotting it and going through the steps to take care of it is at that age, their brain is just so plastic, you know, and can be molded and adjusted. 
And so because we started doing therapy at such a young age, he's building connections or essentially completely new connections. Um, and creating the pathways himself for his arms. Um, but the one thing they did warn us about is his hand that he probably will never get more than 70% use out of his hand just because of the sheer number of, you know, signals that need to go through the nervous system to make your hand work. So, well, you never know. That could be something that he, uh, that he beats as well. Yeah. Yeah. We, we never stop looking at ways for therapy too. Um, like I just went and bought him a punching bag the other day that, you know, requires him to stand up and use both arms and kick with both legs. And, and he's also balancing on his bad leg to do the kicks and whatnot. So, you know, I've always been trying to figure out different ways to work with him to help develop him. Mm-hmm. And so you said you, got, you mentioned a brace just a little while ago. So he wears a brace on his one leg. That's the bad leg you just mentioned. Yep, um, because the problem with the palsy is it forces their muscles um, shorten on one side. So once that happens, the only way to extend it back to normal is to cut the tendons and then extend them. And so his toe was starting to point, and he was walking only on his tiptoe. And if we didn't get it braced soon enough and the uh, – atrophy on the one side got so bad we'd have to cut his Achilles tendon to straighten his leg back out oh my gosh yeah and I did not want to put him through that so um we got the brace as fast as I actually yelled at our therapist until uh she agreed to give the brace what she was giving pushback we ended up like we got a new therapist about six months ago you know, that we loved our old one, just moving on, new training, stuff like that. We just ended up with a different therapist who hasn't been working with us from the beginning. And just we had different views on things, but I pretty much will argue and fight with anyone that will have a view that I think could be damaging to my kid and a lot of it goes back to the army you know you always want to be prepared and you know preventative maintenance thinking ahead Mm -hmm. so to me i would rather get him in the brace as soon as possible to prevent further damage and possibly having that surgery yeah absolutely i mean if the surgery let's say the surgery had to happen but there was a good there was a big chance you know, quote unquote, had to happen, but there was a big chance that the brace could fix it. Why wouldn't you do the brace? Why roll the dice? Well, she just wanted to wait on the brace for a little bit, just keep seeing how stretching could be. Because the other fear is that if you develop the dependence on the brace, the muscles won't develop properly. So I understand it, mm-hmm. but in my eyes, we had been doing therapy and stretching for 18 months, and it's been getting worse. And it's ca- it's affecting his ability to walk. So I just right. want. So with that kind of with that kind of data, eighteen yeah. months, you know, you should definitely see some improvements. And if it's getting worse, then you can only keep doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Um, you know. So yeah, I mean, that's well, that's good. That's good that you pushed for it, and I'm 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 glad to hear that you did because obviously, like you said, I, I mean, I wouldn't want it for my own son either to have him have his tendon cut because then he's going to have to go under again and all that stuff. And that's just, that's also not good when they have to put, put them out, you know, just from health reasons, you know, to your bacteria, your good bacteria, your bad bacteria and your, in your gut and all that kind of stuff. So if you can yeah. avoid surgery, avoid it, you know? Well, another thing is, is because that's such a major surgery and I can't explain to him the reason we're doing it and how it, might actually benefit him he's just going to feel a lot of pain yeah and so it was one of them things where they told us the brace might not even fix and we still might need to do the surgery down the road but that's also a decision he can make at that point you know do you mind being in a wheelchair on crutches or do you want to do this surgery and 
maybe you can keep walking. Mm-hmm. You know, and that way he understands what he's getting into. Because I mean, after dealing with the seizures, not being able to explain to him what's going on and that it will just pass and everything will be okay. I don't want to have to go through that again with something this major. Yeah. Now you, you, you mentioned that you were able to stop the seizures. Yeah. Um, we got them on medication to stop the seizures. Um, and they're already actually talking about in a year or two, we'll be able to wean them off. Wow. So when's the last time you had one? But two months after my youngest son was born. Okay. About probably about 18 months now. That's great. 18, 20, somewhere in there. So how are you adjusting with all of this? And, and, you know, you, you hear this news, you know, I know you said you kind of went to that selfish place and now it actually sounds like you might've never even needed to, but, you know, obviously, you know, you hear that, you hear that news. And then what did you have to do to pick yourself up out of that? You know, if, if somebody's, if somebody's listening to this right now and they're hearing that news for the first time, or they just heard that news for the first time, you know, what did you do to help yourself out of that situation, out of that mind frame? And, and what would you, you know, recommend for that person listening? Um, no, I think it goes back to with the military and wrestling in high school, you know, being in them terrible situations, eventually you get out of them, you know, um, everyone has their own way of getting out. For me, you know, I can, I can generally always find good in a situation. You know, it took me a little while with my kid, but, uh, what was you know, that? What was the good that you, that you started to see or focus on to kind of get your mind in that right space? Cause sometimes people, you know, if you're, you know, you, you mentioned that you have the ability to see the good in a lot. Some people don't have that. So, you know, maybe give, give people a couple of things that you actually were able to see the good in. Um, oh yeah. 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 You know, it's, I might not be able to go and my son may never be, you know, the star athlete, but I still have a son, you know, he's, I, I still have a companion, someone who I can, you know, go and watch games with or, you know, go camping with still. He's healthy, you know, other than that, the stroke, you know, I've almost never had to take him to the doctor twice in two years. We've had to take him to the doctor for being sick. He's happy. He's, you know, going through therapy and every doctor's checkup and appointment and he's smiling and laughing and you just, you can't break the kid. You know, he's, you, you can't look at that and not be happy and not see the good in that, you know, and going back to the finances problems, my wife and I had when we first got married, you know, I learned right away how much, I can rely on my wife and you know, I've seen it before. Couples been married 10, 15, 20 years. As soon as they run the financial problems, that ends the marriage, you know? Um, But we were, we got it out of the way right away and she's still here. We have our kids. We worked it out. We know just how much we can depend on each other and trust each other. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, no. just like what you said about even if, even if, you know, someone listening takes away the one thing that you could be grateful for, it's that you do have someone that you created, mm-hmm. you know, you, you have a son that you and your wife brought into this world. And even though there might be some challenges, even though there might be some hardships, um, you know, you created that person and, and there was a reason for that. Sometimes we don't know what that reason is, uh, you know, maybe right away, but that's definitely one thing because there could be other people out there that have, you know, a, a quote unquote worse, you know, just depending on how you look at it. Um, 
or, or face more challenges with the situation. Um, but you still have someone that you brought into this world that you can still sit there and love and, and appreciate. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's big. Yeah. That's really big. Um, so what's the next steps for, for the little guy? You guys going to have a third? (laughs) Um, after you have them that close in a row, she, uh, she won't have one for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Two, apparently two years of being pregnant is a little too much. <laughs> that's, it, it is a toll. It's definitely a toll. Well, that's good. Um, well, you know, I'm, I'm actually happy for you. You know, it sounds like things worked out so good, even though it sounds like it kind of, you know, starts off really scary, the story, everything. You've actually told me more than what, you know, what you had said in your initial conversation. And, you know, it it sounds like things are really developing for him. He's smart. He's intelligent. He's he's up for the challenge. Like you're saying, you can't break him down because he's going to keep figuring out how to overcome the next hurdle. I think that's so amazing, you know, I mean, and, and, and hats off to you and your wife for, for making it happen, for, for struggling through the financial situation, for figuring it out with, with your, with your two boys, um, you know, cause you have, you have some extra things that need to be done for the first child. And then well, actually, weren't you telling me the second one, you know, the, the younger one, he's more of like a brute, right? So how do, yeah. how, how do those two guys get, together, uh, get along and, and interact? Generally, get along fine, but um, yeah, they're a pound difference, and the younger one's about four inches shorter, so he's just a monster in comparison. Mm-hmm. And so, if he wants something, he'll get his way. <laughs> Not just because his size, but also you know he has four fully functioning limbs. Mm-hmm. But that that's another thing where when they're fighting and fighting over stuff. We, we don't pick sides. We don't say one, you know, we don't favor our oldest with his handicaps. You know, he's going to have to learn to fight for himself as well. So we actually, our, our doctor told us it's a good thing that, that we have them and that they fight because it'll toughen him up. Yeah. I was actually thinking that as you were saying that, that, you know, he'll, he'll definitely get stronger from having his brother. Yeah. Well, and actually his brother's kind of been the inspiration, which is funny. Uh, the youngest one started to crawl. And then a week later, our oldest did. The youngest one was the first to walk. And within a week, our oldest started walking. So it's uh, it's been great motivation for him, if nothing else. Yeah. Wow, it sounds like an awesome team. Hopefully they continue that as they get older, you know. Yeah. Uh, and understand that, you know, and maybe that's something that, you know, you and your wife tell them and share with them at some point, you know, it's just like you guys make, sounds like a perfect team. Inspir- yeah. Inspiration for each other and, you know, one helps the other and one encourages the other and one always is there for the other person. So, of course, they'll, you know, fight like brothers, but um, that's awesome. That's great to hear. Yeah. Well, Anthony, thank you so much for sharing all of that. I mean, that's, that's amazing. I really appreciate the tips that you shared for anybody that could be listening. Um, and just thanks for opening up, you know, your story and, um, you know, some of that's not, uh, not easy, I guess, you know, to, to, to share, you know, definitely not easy to go through, but sometimes it's not easy to share. So I really appreciate that. Um, and uh, as with every episode, we always have 10 questions for, for our guests. And these questions were inspired by James Lipton and Bernard Pivot. And we did do a quick rundown of them. So you, uh, you know what they are. So you ready? Yep. All right. So number one, who is your hero? Um, I actually have two. Uh, it's uh, my dad is one. And then uh, my uncle who, uh, the one who died right after we got back from Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Um, those two probably are the main forces that made me who I am today and that I looked up to. Nice. What excites you? Life, you know, life. It, you never know what tomorrow's going to bring, what I feel like doing tomorrow, you know, or what my boys will end up showing me. 
So just, just life. What turns you off? Bullies. What's your favorite sound? My kids laughing. Mine too. My son, not your kids. (laughs) (laughs) What is your least favorite sound? Whining. That's a common one. What is your favorite quote or saying? Um, Again, I have two. Uh, One is this too shall pass. And then the second one is from Rocky. Um, It's not about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep going. I like that. I like both of those. In a couple words, what should a dad be? A role model. And in a couple words, what should a dad not be? Detached. If you could have any, if you could try any other profession, what would it be? Stand-up comic. Nice. And finally, what would you like to be remembered for? My kids. Um, You know, no matter what I do in this life, the only thing that will actually continue on will be my kids and how they grow up and how they treat people and how they raise their kids will be a direct reflection on me. And then that will carry on through the generations because the examples I set will set the examples for my kids, which will set the examples for my grandkids and so on. Nice. That's well said. I like that a lot. Thanks. Anthony, before you go, tell everybody where they can find you on Instagram. If, you know, like I said before, someone wants to reach out, um, they feel moved by your story, something like that. Tell everybody where, what your handle is on Instagram and, and how they can find you. So I am the Lispy on Instagram. Um, L-I-S-P-Y. Yep. Uh, just like the speech impediment. Right. The Lisp. So it's at the Lispy on Instagram. Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, again, thank you for taking the time to come on the Warrior Dads podcast. I really appreciate it. Really appreciate the story. Loved what you had to share. And uh, I wish you the best with everything. All right. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. All right. Have a good one. You too. Hey guys, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Warrior Dads podcast. If you like this podcast and want to support it, please subscribe, leave comments, and share it with someone you think would benefit from listening as well. Thanks again, and keep on being a Warrior Dad.